It's nearly two. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. This year to work in Australia, the Irish Daily Mail is reporting the figures, which mark an increase of 982, a 140 percent rise in a year. Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Chris Luke, a columnist with the Irish Medical Times and retired consultant in emergency medicine. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, what, what is alarming, I suppose, is the acceleration in the numbers. And just to throw a, a few at you, a dentist, for example, in 2018-2019, uh, 12 applied. In 2022-23, 32 uh, applied. Uh, nurses, mm-hmm. 400 in 2018-19, 1,014 in 2022-23. Uh, and it goes down through the uh, other professions. Physiotherapists, 35 applied in 2018-2019, 149 applied in uh, 2022. And, uh, you know, nurses, doctors, they're all in high demand and they're all, all obviously getting jobs. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the situation in terms of the global healthcare worker shortage has been evolving for at least a quarter of a century, Pat. That, that's a very important point to remember. And all countries, you know, whether they be in the West or the East, the South or the North, are all competing in this global marketplace. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, many people uh, in these parts uh, uh, see the results of that by in their difficulty getting registered with the GP uh, or in overcrowded emergency departments or in the reports that we have of, uh, you know, deteriorating childhood dentistry. So it's a problem that's been evolving for many, many years. And I, 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 I won't say that, that it's been completely neglected, but, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, you know concrete measures t- taken to reverse it. OK, now let's talk about why it's happening, because uh, there is uh, the law of supply and demand. And if there's a big demand, obviously the price and the wages paid will, will go up. But let's talk about uh, the, the reasons why. Uh, are schools not turning out enough doctors, nurses and other uh, personnel or are we just demanding more of them because of ageing populations or because we want better health care and a better uh, ratio of medical personnel to patient? Well, it's a complicated mix of, of, of all of those, Pat. I mean, we, we train something like, you know, north of 700, uh, you know, medics a, a year and uh, I'm, I'm not au fait with the nursing figure, the latest nursing figures. But in theory, we ch- we we do train, uh, you know, a, a very substantial number of of, potent- of future healthcare professionals. But I suppose the difficulty, speaking particularly medically, is that so many of them either go abroad uh, to Australia or North America or Britain immediately, or they return to their country of origin. Because of course, uh, Ireland has long been a magnet for medical training for people from Norway and Canada and Malaysia uh, and. And, and, and Saudi and so forth. So uh, you know there is a, there's, it, it's a, it is a complicated conundrum, uh, and uh, you know so it's it's not going to be easy to fix. But certainly there are uh, there are factors that we need to identify, including lifestyle, including con- the conditions in which people have to work here as opposed to those in, for example, Australia. Uh, and I think also there's a there, there is a definite change in 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 the generations. I know. I mean, I hate to say this, but in my day. You know, most, if not close to 90% of medics, I imagine, went overseas to the UK, to Australia, to the USA to train. Uh, But the difference between now and then is that uh, medics, our young medics, are leaving within it, you know, almost within weeks of of getting their their, their license. In other words, at the end of their first intern year. That's a huge change. And I think that is where we need to start in terms of remedies. 
Now, one of the problems, of course, is is that uh, for trying to retain them here is that there's already a critical mass of Irish doctors and nurses in Australian cities. Go to Perth, you'll find hundreds of them. So they go to an existing community, they get their card marked, they're helped with accommodation. Um, So it's not the daunting trip it once was. No, anything but. In fact, uh, whether you, you think whether you're someone who thinks it's a kind of gap year for young adults uh, or whether there are lots of legitimate reasons to go in terms of long term training and even perhaps staying medically. I mean, it is it is really incredibly simple and easy and attractive uh, to get to Perth, Melbourne, Sydney or, 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 or whatever. So, you know, that's not that's not an issue. And perhaps it's become so easy uh, that that is an, it, it's become almost almost a, a reflex uh, measure, you know, and, and a reflex action on the part of young graduates to, to head off immediately. But I, I mean, my, 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 I suppose my, my big thing really when it comes to this debate, which I've been engaged with for, for really a quarter of a century, because I, in addition to being an A&E uh, consultant, struggling to find staff in a huge department in, in Liverpool or the, one of the biggest departments in the country in CUH, uh, I've, I've also been a medical educationist responsible for the intern, the first year trainees, uh, medical education and professional development. Uh, and, you know, I... I, I I think we've done a great deal to improve the terms and conditions, but I think we've got to go back to square one in the debate, and we've got to say to you, what is the health service for? You know, is it for the graduates or is it for the, the people of, of of the state? And I think that needs to be front and centre of, of of the debate. Mm-hmm. Which may mean that you're going to be uh, doing what many of the listeners are suggesting, uh, kind of compelling graduates either. Uh, to stay here for a, a number of years after their graduation or else pay for their education that they have got, which is highly subsidised uh, by the state. I'll read you some of the comments to, to get your reaction. Uh, I'm a GP. There's been no incentive from the government for me to become a GP. I am 750000 in debt to open the practice. I employ eight people. There is no tax break. Uh, there's no easy access bank loan. Why would anyone want to take this onerous business on just to be a GP. The other one, uh, the only answer is to make payment for their education conditional upon post-graduation service of, say, five years. Obviously, doctors' representatives won't agree with this, but the state has to look after its interests on this one. That's from Dan in Cork. It's very simple. Graduate doctors and nurses must pay full fees if they don't work in Irish hospitals for a number of years after graduation. This will help stop the flow down under. That's Shane in Dublin. Uh, My niece is in Brisbane. She used to cry herself to sleep with stress in an Irish hospital. Now she has four patients to mind every day and has been promoted a few times and trained. She's 27. She made the right decision. She would have left nursing here due to the stress involved. We need to treat nurses as valued staff, not as slaves. That's from Tom. Uh, My my daughter, a midwife, left Ireland for Australia almost two years ago. Her wages, conditions of employment and stress levels are far, far lower in Australia, or better rather, because... Wages are higher, stress is lower uh, than in Ireland. The patient-nurse ratio is way too high in Ireland and the wage is extremely low. She has no plan to return to midwifery here. Uh, And as I mentioned, the number of midwives going 28 in 2019, 109 in 2022-23. So that's a real brain drain there. So, Chris, what is your reaction to those comments? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very dismal picture you paint, uh, Pat. I mean, the, 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 everybody there has, has, a, has a good point to make. For example, the general practitioners. I mean, I have so many friends in general practice who are absolutely exhausted. Trying, I mean, I, you, you, you know I've been sort of ranting in a sense about emergency departments for, you know, over, over two decades. But, you know, the general practitioners in this country, many of them are now facing comparable scenarios uh, to, that, to those in, in the emergency department in terms of, you know, overwhelming numbers and, and caseload and a, a dwindling workforce because of the retirement of so many, uh, you know, single-handed GPs in their in their mid, mid, middle age. Uh, and in terms of the, the terms and conditions for the young midwives and nurses and doctors, that's absolutely correct. I mean, it is very, very difficult to work in many of our hospitals, be they in obstetric hospitals or general hospitals, where, you know, the, the conditions are, are very, very difficult. And at the same time, you know, you've got to come back to the point I made at the beginning. You know, what is the health service for? Is it primarily for the graduates or is it primarily for the people? And the, the, the single most important observation that I would make is the more our graduates, be they in therapy or medicine or nursing or midwifery or whatever, the more they leave, the more they make it difficult for those that are left behind. So there's a really vicious circle here, which sort of transcends the, all, all the condition, all the issues of, of, of money and so forth. So there's an immediate problem, which is constantly worse, worsened by, by, by the exodus. So I'm afraid I, I, I always come back to this idea that there needs to be some sort of incentive at the very beginning of the whole, uh, you know, ecosystem. When people go into nursing schools or medical schools or whatever, there needs to be some sort of incentive scheme. Um, and we need to be nuanced about this, Pat. You know, there are one thing that's different again from 25 years ago is that there are now so many uh, mature entrants to medical school. And they uh, are a little bit like the, the American uh, medics when they graduate. They tend to leave medical school with huge debts. So it's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's not acceptable for people like me to say, oh, oh you know, the, an obligatory stay uh, mm. you know, in an A&E department uh, and ignore your debt. That, that's not realistic. And, and, and people like them, I, I think they should be exempted from certain schemes. But for, but for others, uh, I've been saying for years, and I still believe this, that there should be some scheme whereby people uh, who want to go into medical school uh, are, let's say they're allowed to get into medical school with 550 points or the, 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 the HPAT is dispensed with in return for, let's say, a, a year in, in the health service. And that, I think, is a fairly modest proposal. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, I do think that it would help because one of the most glaring difficulties, and we have to start somewhere, Pat. We're not going to make, wave a magic wand. Nobody is. No government, no political party. But we have to start somewhere. And as, as far as I'm concerned, and I, and I, I speak from really bitter experience, uh, one of the most glaring and, and painful difficulties is trying to run an emergency department or, or a health service where there are so few uh, newly minted youngsters from, from our own population, where we're constantly looking for, for, for locums who are flying in hither and thither, so literally from sometimes from London and elsewhere into Cork or to Dublin or to wherever, just for a night, for example. That's simply unsustainable in yeah. terms of finance. And it, it's, it's profoundly okay, so, so dysfunctional. Chris, you, your idea that some sort of payback is required in terms of time spent in our health service after graduation but that it's nuanced, that there's a carrot and stick. In other words, uh, you know, you might get some financial help uh, in terms of the expenses of becoming a doctor. Um, there, there might be some sort of paybacks uh, to, to justify maybe putting uh, golden handcuffs on you for, for a year. Not, not to do a basic pay, because that would have implications all over the place. But some sort of system, and I'm not one who could design such a thing off the top of my head, 
but that would be incentivize people. In other words, you know, you you get back a, a few grand that you've paid in fees, and it's only what the registration fee three grand a year or even less now with the uh, recent measures. But it's small in terms of the total investment of the state. But you get some payback in return for loyalty. Yes, and here, here's the thing, Pat. Such return for return of service, it's called, or even national service, is the norm in huge parts of the world, in North America, in Australia, in Eastern Central Europe, in the most of Africa. Uh, it's only really in, in the UK and Ireland where it is not even expected. Uh, so, you know, I think that's another very fa- foundational point in the debate that we have to re- remind ourselves of. You know, the return of services, if the state trains you, you know, it should at least expect a certain amount of time back from you in terms of, of, of service. And I am talking about nuance. I am talking about voluntary. And I mean, here's the thing, Pat, for, for years as a consultant, uh, I helped um, Irish graduates of School, schools of medicine in Budapest and Prague and Bologna back into the Irish health service. These were often the children of nurses or doctors or, or therapists or other uh, healthcare professionals who desperately wanted to do medicine but could not manage to get the HPAT for whatever reason. So these were non-HPAT uh, graduates who had gone abroad and studied medicine in a second or third language and then had come back in and I found them to be as good as any doctors I had ever encountered in, okay. in my 40 years. So, so finally Chris, the other point is about that, so we talk about the demand and we need more medical personnel for our uh, our ageing population and so on and so forth. But the supply side, uh, you know, the argument we need to train more nurses, train more doctors, if they're only for export, I'm sorry, that does not make sense. Investing huge amounts of state money so people can just head off. The, I, completely, so, I, I completely agree with this. It's, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. It's like pouring more water into a hole with a bucket with a hole in it. It makes absolutely no sense economically or ethically. And I say we have to go back to square square one in this whole, whole debate. We have to ask ourselves, what is the health service for? Or what, more importantly, what are medical and nursing schools for? Chris Luke, a columnist with the Irish Medical Times and retired consultant in emergency medicine. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.